When you are non-aligned, barriers are raised against God, against people, resistance forms and we man the barricades to repel truth from other people. We just won't receive it. We're defensive and selectively deaf. We resist the Holy Spirit and the truth he wants to bring and when people try to bring it we think they have some kind of wrong motive. When you're non-aligned your natural mind has to have the upper hand. Poor alignment brings us into negativity, unbelief, woundedness, poor relationships and condemnation. There's no recognisable pattern to your thoughts because the enemy isn't that daft. He just takes you into areas of the flesh and right away from the spirit. If you don't practice agreement between yourself and the Holy Spirit you will be soulish, led mostly by your feelings and your emotions and heavily influenced by rational thinking. Those are some symptoms of non-alignment. If what I've said so far has got you thinking about where you are, if you've realised that you're in a stuck place or you're out of alignment, or maybe you're behind time in relation to your years as a Christian, just stop the CD now and take a few moments to do business with him. Talk to him about it, confess and change your mind. Ask him to get you into alignment or get you moving into his will because that's what this is all about. So, what does alignment look like? Physically, you're ready for the fight. Resting, internally you're at peace. You may feel apprehensive, but you're willing to be involved with God. You're alert, in fellowship with him, and full of mercy, kindness and good fruit. You're walking in the spirit. The starting point for spiritual breakthrough lies in the will. The truth doesn't set you free until you experience it. A head full of knowledge is useless. A sustained breakthrough is when faith and focus come together and stay together. We don't want a breakthrough that's lost before you get down the path. The road to hell, it said, is paved with good intentions. What we don't want is a few good intentions. We want intentional will choices combined with faith and focus. Sustained breakthrough depends on the will and the spirit combining. A determination to go God's way and your choices will flow from that preset determination. If you have a flabby will it isn't making choices. It hasn't been exercised. And like faith it's a muscle that needs exercise to keep it fit. It's much more important to exercise your will and faith muscles than to spend time at the gym. Satan attacks your mind and emotions to subvert your will. When he's done that successfully, he has you. We need to understand the ways of God in these days. The current refreshing Toronto and Lakeland is for a purpose. We know that God is moving purposefully and powerfully across the earth. We know that the church is rising up to a new place of anointing and power. And that means as God moves us up in an anointing, we encounter a completely different kind of warfare. When God moves us up a level in the spirit, we encounter a higher level of warfare. This warfare is what Jesus is provoking by his presence in us and through us. When Jesus is in the church in power, we are provoking warfare in the earth.
and the first rule of spiritual warfare is this you cannot take ground from the enemy if he has got ground in you as we saw in our first spiritual warfare teaching our warfare is not against the devil our first warfare is always against the flesh Paul says there's a war going on in you and if you don't win that battle you'll not win any other you can't take a city for God if the stronghold of your own spirit is untouched by the Holy Spirit. It seems that the majority of my teaching this year so far has been on joyfully submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. So now the Holy Spirit is coming into our hearts but he's coming in to stay and he's coming in to rule. We have to come to the place where the Holy Spirit is ruling in our life. A place of absolute surrender and submission to his reign and rule over us. The benevolent dictatorship, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. If you don't understand the ways of God, you will not understand the schemes of the devil either. You'll end up blaming the devil for something that God is doing in your life. Jesus hasn't just come to make us feel wonderful. That's a byproduct of his coming. And he's not here to serve us or to bless us. He's here to provoke our hearts and tell us, I'm not here for you, you are here for me. When Joshua had a visitation from the angel of the Lord, he said, are you for us or against us? The angel said, no. I'm not for you and I'm not against you because I'm not here for you. You are here for me. Beloved, when he comes, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Beloved, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. With this impartation, visitation, renewal, call it what you will, there is a price to pay. We are meant to come into a new place in God where he's raising us up to a whole new level of anointing, a whole new level of relationship and intimacy with Jesus. Alongside this is going to provoke inside us a whole new capacity for warfare and we are going to enter into real spiritual warfare. Most of us have not even seen a devil, let alone be attacked by one. We think we're in warfare, this is nothing. There is a place God is taking us where he will raise us up in the heavenlies where the church gets to police the heavens. But first of all, first of all, we have to learn to police our own lives. Crisis and development. When you came in at salvation, you came in at crisis point, at least some of us did. Some will have come in intellectually, receiving the gift of salvation, but not making Jesus Lord. Either way, subsequently, we have the process of working out our salvation. In water baptism, you signified your death with Christ and raising to a new life. Then you have the process of putting off the old life with all its habits and desires and putting on the new. Then there is the process of getting to know the Holy Spirit, getting to know how to keep him happy and not grieve him and not quench him. Learning how to apologise to God and other people and keeping short accounts. Doing a review every day. Every day you must do a review. When you get to lunchtime, if you've done anything wrong, apologise. 
Dinner time. If you've done anything wrong, apologise. Review the afternoon. Before you go to bed, review the evening. Ask God how you could have handled situations differently if you've got the wrong side of someone in a moment of carnality. Bless God for anything is done, but apologise for anything you've done wrong. Keep really short accounts. I cannot stress enough how important this is. Keeping your windows clean in order that you can see him and hear him. For some people, deliverance is a crisis point. Things in your life you cannot get rid of on your own, so you come into a crisis situation. The Holy Spirit is putting his finger on things and the demonic is dancing around trying to get out of here. At this point you realise that two things have got to happen if you're wise. One is I need to get free, the other is I need to stay free. Some people are only interested in getting free and make no effort at all to stay free. And guess what? They end up worse than when they started. There's always two battles in deliverance. One battle to get free, another to stay free. Be aware of this. Make sure you're living in the Word, understanding the Word, in fellowship with God and those around you. Incidentally, you can't be in fellowship with God and out with anyone else. It doesn't work like that. If you're out with any person, you're out with God. Then there's the faith aspect. Too much month and not enough money. You have a crisis. You learn that God turns up at the 59th minute and the 59th second. You're getting more and more panic-stricken, but you are learning to live by faith, trusting the faithful one. We need to know how to live by faith, not by sight or emotions, but by the Word of God and who He wants to be for us in any given situation. Crisis to process. Crisis to development of the character and nature of Jesus. Hard. I'm with you. Feed off it every day. This is the process of living by faith. God's will is always in his word. Crisis in prayer. I can't pray. Yes, I know. Isn't it wonderful? But I'm giving you someone who knows how to pray. And you realize how brilliant the Holy Spirit is. He knows exactly what to pray and this pushes you deeper into your relationship with him. You're going from crisis to the process of development. The enemy comes in in a crisis and you learn how to stand still in the presence of God when the enemy is against you. You're being developed in this area. You are in process. He can't fight you unless God allows it so when the enemy attacks God is doing something. Stand still. When the enemy comes in like a flood, flood, God is always raising something up in your spirit. Your response should be, thank you for this war, thank you for this battle. What does it mean? What are you teaching me? How do I position myself? How do I pray? Spiritual warfare, as I said before, has got nothing to do with taking authority over the devil. It's about seeing the majesty, the supremacy, the preeminence, the brilliance of Jesus. Discovering the awesomeness of who God is. Authority over the devil is an incidental thing. You get taken up with God and Jesus, never taken up with the enemy. What's God doing? He wants to loom so large in your vision you can't see anything else. If you get God between you and your problem, I guarantee you won't see the problem. He's big. 
and you need that problem if you're going to grow. In warfare we worship more than anything else because in warfare he reveals himself to be who he really is, the King of Kings, Mighty One. God is so big there's nothing out there to be afraid of. You have to hold your nerve, understand who God is, how he works, how he thinks and the ways of God and you have to know who you are in Christ. Spiritual warfare is a discovery of who God is. There's always the danger in this charismatic church of majoring on minors and sometimes we major on the enemy when we should be majoring on who God is. Revelation is given by God when we worship. Anything you get in the realm of the spirit you'll get through confrontation, times of difficulty. If you want to grow in faith you need a problem. You cannot grow in faith without a problem. Stop moaning, start praising. You need problems and difficulties. You cannot grow in faith without them. You can't become a soldier unless you're thrust into the middle of a battle. You can't become an overcomer unless you've something to overcome. You need conflict, trials, difficulties, problems. That's the growing compost that God uses to stretch us from one dimension to another. Through this process we learn God's ways with us. We learn who he is, who he wants to be for us. We learn how it works. We learn how to move in this new realm. We learn that he really does not leave us ever. We learn that he really is the all-sufficient one. Some people never get beyond crisis. They never get from the crisis to the process of development. They stick at crisis. Why? Because they're running away from the circumstances. They blame the enemy for what God is doing. They stay nepios, technion or padion. If you don't understand the ways of God, you cannot understand the schemes of the devil. So in the end, you'll stop trying and drop out of the race. Joseph was someone who got beyond crisis. He received this prophecy from God about reigning and ruling and the exact opposite of the prophecy happened but he stuck with the process. He was so upright in the way he conducted himself under extreme provocation that he rose to become second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. True this process took something around 20 years but God wasn't in a hurry with his man. The purpose of God's process with Joseph is shown in Psalm 105. 16 to 22. Moreover, he, God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes as his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Joseph gets this prophetic word that he's going to reign over his entire family and instantly is thrust into God's process which is designed to bring his character into line with his destiny. Beloved, there's no shortcut to this. We have to stand still under the hand of the master potter and allow him to shape and form us for what he has in store for us. 
His agenda is never the same as ours. His word will test you as it did Joseph. Every time I have had a prophetic word over my life, everything's gone in the opposite direction. God talks about expansion and everything starts to contract. What's that all about? God's ways are not ours. I need to be trained at a deeper level to come into the next thing God has for me. Mary and Martha crying out to Jesus because Lazarus is sick. Master, our brother's sick. But Jesus tarries and says, this sickness is not unto death. But he died. What's that all about? They heard healing. Jesus' agenda was resurrection. He had something bigger in mind. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Beloved, he's always got something much bigger in mind. The disciples on the road to Emmaus down in the mouth because things hadn't happened the way they thought they should. Jesus joins them and the conversation gets interesting. He says, what's up, boys? They look at him cockled. Are you the only one that hasn't heard what's happened? And they proceed to tell him what they thought was going to happen and how they are disappointed. It wasn't until he breaks bread and their eyes are open that they come out of the crisis. Part of their process. They thought he was going to be king and release them from Roman domination, but God had a higher purpose. Resurrection life. God has something much bigger in mind. Kingdom, church, eternity. The declaration of God's intent over your life and mine will be followed by a degree of distress as we are plunged into the circumstances God's planned for our next elevation. When God pitches you into distress, it is to bring about an internal change in your heart. All we want is out. God allows in his wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power. God is working in Joseph's life. He's bringing the lad's character up to match his destiny. Little does Joseph realise it, but God's closely watching all of his internal reactions. He's been in prison a long time now. The baker and the cupbearer have dreams. One of them's set free, so he allows himself a plea. When you get before Pharaoh, remind him that I'm still stuck down here. Just missed the test, Joe. You need another two years. Another principle with God. He can't do through you what he hasn't been able to do in you. We need to stand still under the hand of God. I wonder how many of us are running away from situations and circumstances right now that God has allowed in our lives because he's trying to build our internal resources and get us to face up to who he is. So in distress, God's developing Joseph to be the man God wants him to be. Joseph is saying, forget my destiny, just get me out of here. God says, no son, your destiny is too important. Just shut up and stand still. In this time of distress, God is developing him. He's learning to reign and rule. In Egypt, he learned land management, people skills, government. In that time of distress, God was developing him to be number two in the nation. When the time was right, God delivered him. When he was developed enough for the demonstration of all that God had promised him to come about. Beloved, do not despise the training period. It is absolutely essential. God's sequence is the prophetic word or call comes, which is the declaration. Number two, you plunged into distress. 
Number three, character development. And finally, number four, demonstration of the prophetic words you were given. Some of us will miss the reality of what God wants to do in our lives because we won't stand still in the time of distress and let him develop us. Some of us will even blame the whole thing on the enemy. As I'm always saying, we do need to establish who is doing what to whom. In other words, is this God? Is this the devil? Am I reaping what I've sown? Are you nailing something in my life? Is this training for reigning? Questions. We need to ask them. What does this mean? What should I do? The why question will never get answered this side of eternity. When the angel visited Mary, she didn't ask why. She said, how can this be? She didn't argue with the prophecy. What we are seeing here is the cycle that God takes us through, his ways. He declares our future over us, then he takes us as a horseshoe and plunges us into the fire of circumstances. These circumstances are there to shape us. It's at this point that many of us give up. The heat and the pressure are too much and we settle for mediocrity in our Christian walk. If however we knew the gift of God, John 4, 9 and the Samaritan woman at the well, God wants to give us so much more than we could ask or think, but we settle for so much less because we will not stay the course. Through the hammer, the fire and the furnace, we are forged into the people God requires us to be in order to fulfil our destiny. Psalm 105.19 Until the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord tested him. Prophecy will test your life. Israel didn't get beyond crisis. They had this incredible prophetic word in Exodus 6. Seven I will statements, absolute promise, declaration of God's intent. But they didn't stand still under the process. They murmured and grumbled in the wilderness. And they never attained what God had intended for them. It is possible to miss it if you don't stand still and understand what God is doing in your life right now. Two things the Holy Spirit is doing with us. First of all, he's teaching you how to trust the Lord. Every day of your life, he's teaching you how to walk by faith, how to trust God. You've got situations in your life right now where you need to learn to trust God. That's what they're there for. You've problems and difficulties now because God is teaching you something. We're all going to understand who God is in these days. We think we know. There is so much more so much more to who God is and we misunderstand the ways of God. Crisis is allowed and sometimes even engineered by God to deliver us to a place where only he can help us. Ask Jacob. He wrestled until he was weak enough to cry out, I will not let you go until you bless me. Ask Joseph. Years in prison changed his perspective all right. He says to his brothers, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. How many of us could have that perspective on our current circumstances? God means it for good. And what about the New Testament? 2 Corinthians 12.7 and Paul's thorn, crisis. Paul asked three times for this thing to be removed. No, God says, I've given you these circumstances to do something in you. My grace is enough for you, Paul. Stop moaning. The thorn was designed to bring Paul to an understanding of personal weakness. 
One of the most wonderful things in my life is knowing that I can't do this thing, knowing that I'm unable to do anything without him. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Nothing of eternal value in the kingdom. Weak, inadequate, vulnerable. I love it. Love it all. Only he can do it. God's grace, mercy and kindness are always going to be enough for me. One with God is always a maturity. He is enough. So what's Paul's reaction to this revelation of his own impotence? He's coming out of this crisis of impotence, but what is his reaction going to be? He stands there before God and he says, you mean you've allowed this to happen to bring me into something deeper in you? I think I'm beginning to understand this. If this is you at work, then most gladly would I boast about my infirmities. Let me get this right. Can I boast about my infirmities then, knowing that the power of Christ will rest on me? I can take pleasure in all this. Reproaches, needs, persecution, it's all for Christ's sake. But when I am weak, then I am strong. I get it. All these things I want to rush away from and get away from are sent by you to bring me to weakness, that I might know your grace and power and strength. So instead of running away from them, I need to jump in the middle and take pleasure in what is happening. I need desperately to embrace this stuff. Then the power of God will rest on me, won't it? Now I understand. Philippians 4.11 and he makes this statement Not that I speak in regard to need for I have learnt in whatever state I am to be content. He suddenly realised that what is happening out there is irrelevant to what is happening in here. God is doing something. He's learnt that everything is to his profit. God is in control. God is developing him. God is allowing this thing and he's learnt. In the crisis and the development process which follows, God is bringing us to the place where we discover that God is all we have and all we will ever need. There are things in our lives right now where we need to move from crisis to change and development. So we need to understand that God's allowed in his wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power. Some of you doubtless are facing tremendous difficulties in your families, jobs, communities. And we need to understand now this is how God is helping us to grow up. To face the thing that's in front of us. Understand why God wants us to grow up. Understand too that he's going to teach us things about his majesty, his sovereignty, his brilliance, his effulgent glory, his magnificence, his splendour. You know what the Holy Spirit is doing in you right now. You have dreams, you have aspirations. Some of you may be frustrated and disillusioned with yourselves. Disillusionment is the forerunner of real growth and development. If you have come to a place of profound disillusionment, it's because God's got his hand on your life. You may think you feel this way because God's left you. Beloved, you feel this way because he's with you. And he's teaching you the fact that you are disillusioned and frustrated are the evidence of the fact that he is with you and touching you. Right now, you're in crisis 
but God is drawing you. I know the problem is you can see your mistakes, you can see your own inability, you can see the obstacles in front of you. And the other problem is that you have this dream in your heart, you have this aspiration to be something and there's a yearning in you to know God, a yearning in you to be significant, a yearning in you to give your life to God on a much deeper level, to be the man or woman he wants you to be. Why is that? Because when you were born again, God put a divine yes into your heart. Everything in God to you is yes and amen. You will never be happy until you're saying yes to God. Maybe that's why you've been so miserable. Because you know your problem is that you're not saying yes. You want to say yes, but you're caught up with the problem. And how do you get through that when God wants you to be caught up with him and with the Holy Spirit? So you're in a crisis right now and you need to come out of this crisis and get into the process of development, understanding the ways of God. In a moment we're going to pray, but I'm not going to ask that God will uh, change your circumstances or that they'll disappear. I'm going to ask God to raise something up on the inside of you that will make you face the circumstances, face the test in front of you, come through that crisis into the development process, into a place of maturity and growth, because it will only come through facing the situation that you're in. God's drawing you into a place of maturity, but he's saying there's a price to play, pay. You have to face the situation you're in. I'm not delivering you from the circumstance. I'm changing you in it. I will pray that you feel the power of God to help you stand in your circumstances and work from your place of crisis to the process of development where you'll begin to cooperate with him for the rest of your life because you're beginning to understand his ways with you. I pray that you'll come to faith about your problems and come to faith about your situation, that you come to a place of healing and wholeness, to a place of being set free and being delivered, that you come to a place where you begin to walk in the footsteps of God, knowing he's going to carry you and teach you, and that you're going to enjoy this. Even in the changing times and seasons, your joy will be full. As gently as I can, I do need to say to you, beloved, creation is tired of childish Christianity. Childish believers who have to have everything done for them, who never learn their lessons, who don't want process, who constantly want impartation, a quick fix, who won't learn their lessons of walking by faith and living by faith because it's too hard and they want somebody else to do it for them. Sometimes it seems to me that people would rather have a relationship with an anointed ministry than have a relationship with the Holy Spirit for themselves. The way Christians run hither and yon after the latest anointed speaker to get hands laid on them for an impartation. If I laid hands on you, it would be so that you could surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Beloved, it is really time for us to stop being a consumer church and an audience. It's time to stop living on other people's stories 
and start writing our own. I don't want to hear about someone else's miracles, I want to see my own. I don't want to write about them either because I'm too caught up with what God's going to do next. It's time for a radical change, church. You can stay where you are if you want, but as for me, I intend to live a life less ordinary. I want life in the fast lane. I intend to cooperate with God and achieve sonship, become a fully mature huios. If you can say this, yes to that and you want that, then we can repent this day. Everything in God's heart is yes and amen to you. And he's put a yes in your heart. Yes to coming out of crisis into process. Yes to growing up. Yes to a new realm of the spirit. Yes to standing up on the inside. And you're going to pass that test. You're going to pass it this time. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you never, never, never give up on us. That you're always willing to pick us up and set us on the road again with the words, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Father, I ask that you will give us the grace to repent because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Enable us, Father, to get back in the race and run with all we have because it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. Cause us to change our minds, Lord. Move on our hearts. Show us a different dimension. Cause us to reach for it. Father, I thank you that this is becoming true in our experience. We're learning that you are exactly who you say you are, the faithful God. And you're brilliant at this, Holy Spirit. You creep up on us with that cheesy grin and say, you can do this thing because I'm with you. Father, I pray too that you'll cause us to stand in the circumstances of our lives and to embrace the process you've chosen for us and the situations you've chosen for us and that you teach us to smile in those circumstances, knowing that you mean them for our ultimate good because you're a good God. And I ask, Father, that you'll raise something up on the inside of us that will make us determined to run the race to win, not just to finish. That we will be consumed with the greatness and the majesty and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he will be the one who fills our entire existence. That he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And that, Father, the bride you so desire for your son the one who will love him as he deserves to be loved, will be forged out of our difficulties and trials, that you will indeed present us faultless before your glory with exceeding joy. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And again, I would like to recall my most grateful thanks to Graham Cook for his teaching on Christ's sister process. Bob Mumford and others who have walked this road before me. Ladies and gentlemen, I am deeply indebted to you all. Be blessed and run with all that you have. Amen. <laughs>